ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. What does the future look like to you? When it feels like everything is getting worse, it's pretty easy to imagine a dystopia. A little bit Blade Runner, 1984, cyborgs and surveillance and rainy, dark-toned, neon-lit cities. That would be cyberpunk that you're imagining right there. But there's a sunny new challenger emerging, solarpunk. It's less Neo-Tokyo and more Wakanda. And it asks, what if we imagined a positive future? One where we figure out these modern crises. The economy, the environment, technology, all fused together harmoniously in a humanist new world. Yes, it does sound a bit dreamy, a bit idealistic, but the world of design and architecture is starting to take this quite seriously and looking at how this movement could go from sci-fi to reality. Matthew Wazinski is an Associate Professor of Practice in Urban Technology at the University of Michigan, where he's been teaching a course on the possibilities of solar punk to design and architecture students. Matthew, welcome. Thanks for having me. Matthew, where does solar punk originate as an idea? My understanding is that the very first mention of solar punk as an idea came from a Tumblr post. Um, or maybe it was a post that was on a kind of uh, self-published website. As far as I understand, it was a post that was about a transatlantic cargo ship that was using sails to boost the you know, otherwise diesel-burning uh, engines of the transatlantic voyage. And from my understanding is that the author of that post made the comment that this was kind of a, a transition from genres like steampunk into a new one called solar punk. And I think punk is such an important aspect of that. What is punk about solar punk? Well, I think what's punk about it is, and I think, again, drawing contrast to things like steampunk or cyberpunk, is that the punk in solar punk is really not waiting around for someone to tell us how we might make our everyday lives or worlds better. It's about doing it in a DIY kind of fashion. I don't think it means necessarily directly breaking the law, but I do think a lot of solar punk practices seem to be hacking what appears to be legal or at least hacking systems um, of authority in order to get to what seem like more desirable ends. There's an ethos here, clearly, but how has it grown to encompass many disciplines, literature, art, to design? <laughs> so I don't know that we have, or I have an answer to uh, how far it's gone. Solar punk as an idea was actually first introduced to me by a design student. And I was unfamiliar with it as a genre or an aesthetic or, or whatever it might might have been. But it, it does seem or it appears that it's morphing into a lot of different kinds of projects, uh, real world projects, uh, movements of different kinds. And so the interest that I have in it is if solar punk gives us some kind of plausible or desirable open imaginary of the future, what does design look like in that future? And what kind of design might help us get there? And what do you think that is? Because that's kind of what you're working on with your course and um, a lot of your PhD research. Do you have some ideas of how solar punk design might function and what it might look like? I do. And I think, you know, what we've been trying to, what I've been trying to understand, and I've been trying to bring others along with me to, to try to figure out is 
a variety of different ways because I don't think there's one answer, but all the different ways that we might answer the question, what is or could be solar punk design? And in fact, that was kind of the guiding question of, of the course that I taught uh, last semester at the University of Michigan. Um, but even before that, I, I was working with collaborators doing some public facing workshops. And the idea that we had is that there is really a lot of existing technical knowledge out there about how we might live our everyday lives differently. And by we, I do mean people in the kind of post-industrial high consumption world that I live in, but that these things feel sort of distant or fringe in some kind of way. And we were wondering how we might make them feel not just possible and, and useful and usable, but actually desirable. How could we make like building hydroponic systems seem like something that's actually really cool <laughs> and that we might actually do and learn from together. And so we started doing these workshops where I think the the idea was uh, my collaborators and I, and, I, and I would spend some time looking for examples of instructions and then inviting a group of, you know, sort of public participants into a workshop where we would talk about some solar punk ideas. We talk a little bit about alternative economic concepts, and then we would build something like uh, a top-loading updraft stove out of metal scrap um, in order to make biochar, which is itself a carbon sequestration process. Or we would build a hydroponic system or the parts of a hydroponic system uh, for home use and then hope that we were also kind of planting the seed of a community that would share knowledge and you know share materials, even maybe share the harvest of whatever they were making uh, in those workshops. So that's like a, a bunch of different ways of looking at it, but I think I guess one answer to my own question is viewing design not as not so much as being responsible for novel or innovative um, techniques or form, but really about taking existing knowledge, distributing that knowledge, and encouraging broader participation in how we live our everyday lives. And, and do you think that that's happening, that there's a growing interest in this movement? I, I feel like anecdotally, I'm seeing a lot more writing and, and research and ideation about solar punk, but um, I hope it's not just me. What do you think's behind this growing interest in the solar punk movement? Yeah, I, I also can only say anecdotally that it does seem to be growing. And the fact that I taught this course and the the course was publicly listed on the internet, I've had a lot of conversations about it. So clearly people are interested. But I, I think a big part of it is, and I'll say for myself, for, for young people who have grown up in the kind of backdrop of the 2008 financial crisis, the Occupy Wall Street movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, um, all the sort of uh, ecological and uh, social equity questions and challenges that I think people are grappling with today. Those of us in creative uh, and design professions are really questioning what we're doing and what our participation in the world as it is, is all about. I think what solar punk offers is a plausible and desirable, I mean, just to say positive view of the future amidst what otherwise feels like a lot of negativity. And I think that that bit of optimism is not purely utopian. It is actually a form of hope that the kinds of projects, the kinds of communities, and the kind of work that we might do can be working toward a shared goal. And I think what's great about solar punk from, from my own limited point of view 
it's not closed and dogmatic. It is it is open, right? It's open and it's inviting. Uh, back to my original question, what is or could be solar punk design? I think there are probably infinite answers. You worked with architecture students um, throughout this course and introduced them to some of these ideas of solar punk and how they might be integrated into their practice. What sorts of designs did your students come up with? And did they come away wanting to build some of these philosophies into their future practice? Yeah, I, I think so. Or they told me so. And I'll say that, you know, what the, the way that we went about this or one of the ways in which we went about this was also to fold into it a kind of a, a combination of economic and ecological thinking about design. And so in particular, um, we spent time looking at what I would call alternative or, or sort of non-mainstream economic theories. And by alternative or non-mainstream, I guess, I mean, not imagining infinite growth as the central premise. Um, in particular, the work of the Chilean economist Manfred Max Neef, who has this conception of a finite list of human needs that can be satisfied in infinite social and cultural ways. And it's very interesting that Max Neef's conception of human needs has subsistence as just one of the, one of the many needs that humans have, and how we satisfy our needs for subsistence sometimes completely eclipses our satisfaction of other needs for things like participation or freedom or creativity. And so we took some of this, you know, economic theoretical stuff and thought about it at really different scales from the household to the neighborhood, to the city, to bioregion, um, informed by uh, also theoretical work from the, the realm of cosmopolitan localism. And we sort of used it as a framework to think about how designing in or around households and cities in particular would be different. So it was really fascinating um, with all of that as the backstory to see students of architecture working on projects that were definitely not buildings in many cases, um, but ranged from things like reimagining the city through uh, guerrilla gardening to um, ensure that uh, rain gardens for drainage and pollinator gardens and these kinds of things are distributed in a you know bottom-up kind of way of reimagining the, the vegetation of the city done in kind of a collective way or at the scale of furniture for uh, home businesses uh, in a kind of feminist sense. You know, one of the students was very interested in biomaterials and was studying biomaterials. And in the class, I just really encouraged to not just read about it, but to actually build with them. Um, and it was fascinating for her project to go from a study of biomaterials to actually beginning to make prototypes of uh, children's toys um, out, of, uh, out of some of these biomaterials that she had been studying. It is that ethos that's behind it that really drives whatever solar punk design could be, that positive, optimistic view of a technological future where we don't all perish under um, thanks to climate change. Like, how do you feel like a positive view of the future changes uh, our approaches to design and architecture? Yeah, I think it's it's both that it's positive, but I think it also contrasts what we might consider you know, business as usual when it comes to design and architecture. And I think that that's actually, that distinguishes a bit from being just, you know, just an optimism, because I think there's a lot of optimism um, in a kind of technocratic way about where things might be going. And I think a part of that is acknowledging that the varieties and the kinds of changes that solar punk would describe are not just technical. It's not sort of throwing away 
human ingenuity and technology and that kind of thing, but acknowledging that it needs to become more communal, more place-based, more social uh, in a way that I think many of the, you know, let's sort of say like techno utopian views of the future simply are not. And so that aspect of doing it with others and doing it with others in place-based communities, um, you know, with the kinds of resources that we're familiar with, with the kinds of cultural knowledge that are around us, I think is really an important element to solar punk that uh, in in many ways would contrast, I think, some of this um, kind of like centralizing and exogenous ways that a lot of design and architecture are practiced today. Yeah, it does stand in opposition to current design practices. What do you feel like are the reigning philosophies in design at the moment more specifically? And how do we move past that? Like, how do we really break that and bring people on board with a more humanistic idea of the future? Well, I hope it's through conversations like this. I hope it's through, um, you know, courses that are taught. I hope it's through the kinds of acts and works that, um, you know, students today, young people today who are practitioners of different kinds are putting out in the world. And of course, um, there's plenty of that uh, that would, you know, not even recognize itself as solar punk. And I think that's great. <laughs> it's not not meant to be some kind of totalizing um, view of the future, but it feels to me like there is a a kind of a groundswell of awareness of the lack of equity and lack of sustainability in design practices at large today, and a lot of different um, strains of figuring out how we might do otherwise. And what I would aspire to to try to help to support uh, are ways in which those things might become coordinated so that we have practices and practitioners that look uh, very different. Well, you are an expert. Your your field is design, um, user experience and that sort of thing. But how big a role do you feel our buildings and cities will play in a potential solar punk future? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think I, I think they will play a huge role. I think, you know, buildings and cities are, you know, a on, on a very large scale represent the human made environment that we occupy. On the other hand, I, I, if things go well, I suspect it will look less like the kind of, you know, top down centralized planning that may have gotten a lot of buildings and cities to where they are today. And uh, in other words, I think the kind of uh, grassroots efforts to adapt or mitigate or make transformations to infrastructure may play a significant role in the kinds of just transitions that many people are interested in. I think uh, retrofitting or transformation of existing built environments will be a part of that as well. So I think it will it will be I think an important site of transition. But I think the the ways in which um, uh, cities and buildings are a site may look different. It's really interesting when you you hear that and you think about what's possible and what you can imagine. There are so many great renderings and um, ideas out there online that can be quite inspiring. But what about real world examples? Are there places that we do see solar punk design uh, currently in the world? And are there any barriers um, from a resource perspective or from a political perspective um, to seeing solar punk proliferate a bit more in our current world? I think the answer is yes to all the questions you just asked in the sense that, I, yes, I think we have some some really interesting examples and I think we have also some really, yeah, some, some major barriers to proliferation. So um, on the one hand, you know, I think the, uh, to go back to the word, I think the proliferation of imagery, the proliferation of ideas of solar punk that has really, um, you know, I'd say exploded in the last decade or so has been has been powerful and has been useful in in the sense that it has uh, created and, and and sort of made at least somewhat more widespread this kind of positive 
future imaginary that we might, you know, collectively and or individually in our own lives or practices or disciplines, whatever that might be, to aspire towards. On the other hand, um, you know, I think that, you know, in the space of architecture and design, the ongoing proliferation of imagery is kind of not enough, right? I mean, so if we have lots of cool, you know, AI images of buildings that are like never going to happen. There's there's a point where I think the sort of motivation or the aspiration piece starts to wear off. This was sort of, a, I think, a jumping off point in the class, which was to uh, not just to sort of look at and study and talk about these things, but at, at the small scale of our class and our individual practices, how can we actually get started and start to build some of the building blocks to get us there? The students were also looking in this class and as part of my own research, looking at um, you know, what are some really great case studies of things that have happened in the past? And in, in my sort of, you know, body of knowledge, this idea of distributing information for DIY projects, we can look at, you know, really great moments like the whole Earth Catalog, um, the appropriate technology movement, I think, as some precursors to this work. Uh, for the architecture students, they were, you know, very interested in studying things like Earth ships um, being built in um, the American Southwest Desert, uh, passive solar housing, um, communal housing initiatives, and these kinds of things. I mean, we're talking about really different projects in really different places and at really different scales, but the challenges of greater proliferation, I think, have to do with the fact that these really divergent scales and places and practices might not recognize each other as being part of a similar vein. And I think beyond that, um, certainly in the, sp the space of architecture, I have no doubt that there are other kinds of uh, regulatory or other kinds of barriers that I'm probably not really familiar with, but that these students, I hope, are beginning to think about as they embark on their architectural careers. Yeah, well, as you say, uh, Solopunk has this grassroots community, humanist, but kind of an opposite ethos to the way that a lot of architecture development and urban planning does work at current. It's not about growth or scale or selling anything. It's it's kind of the opposite. So how does um, a degrowth kind of movement actually proliferate? Yeah, great question. And I don't think, again, there's an easy answer to that one. But I do think that what I hope is starting to happen is that new kinds of viable ways of doing and ways of being by design start to proliferate and that these become desirable, that we can make practices whose whose outcomes and whose lived experiences are more desirable than some of the alternatives. Absolutely. Well, it's a, a sunny future, a punk future that we can hopefully look forward to. Matthew Wazinski, Associate Professor of Practice in Urban Technology at the University of Michigan. Thank you so much for joining us on Blueprint for Living. Thank you for having me. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music, and more. 